Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode number 24. Thanks for joining me today. In this episode, we have the segment, Mailbox Mania, followed by our guest speaker, Lisa McCown, discussing manufacturer's instructions for used IFUs. It's a great show, so let's get started with Mailbox Mania. Today in Mailbox Mania, we're looking at the September-October 2020 edition of The Process Magazine by Isham. The first article is titled, Standards Development in the Age of COVID-19. Now, the objectives for this article are, understand the impact of the pandemic on sterilization standards development, review the amendments to ANSI Amy ST79, review the progress for ANSI-AMI PB70, and last, review the development of ANSI-AMI ST91. Now this article reads, The COVID pandemic has proven challenging for virtually everyone across the globe. As the virus spreads from country to country and region to region, the overwhelming response was to shut down all but the most essential activities. While healthcare was understandably deemed an essential business, many of the normal business activities were not. This including non-emergent medical procedures, vendors visiting healthcare facilities, and the holding of local, regional, national, and international healthcare conferences. Many conferences were canceled for the year, and some organizations switched to virtual offerings to provide the needed accredited education and relied on virtual exhibitions to connect healthcare professionals with vendors and their latest information, products, and services. Now some background. The Standards Committee was set to meet the week of March 16, 2020 at the Amy's headquarters, which is in Arlington, Virginia. It was during that time that many announcements were made about canceling and postponing meetings. Amy announced their postponement on March 12th, uh, just a few days before the meeting were set to start. Now, Amy's new headquarters were capable of hosting both in-person and remote meetings simultaneously, and the association had the infrastructure to successfully make all the working groups meetings virtual. Now, Amy Working Group 40, which if you don't know what Working Group 40, Working Group 40 is responsible for the best known document out there for sterile processing, which is ST79, Amy Ansi ST79, which is also the Comprehensive Guide to Steam Sterilization and Sterility Assurance in Healthcare Facilities. Now this standard was last updated in 2017, and therefore it would not have been up again for review until 2022. But the committee felt that there were some significant amendments that needed to be included that could not wait until the 2022 review. Now those amendments included Amendment 1, 
uh, the environmental services slash fans and food and drink. So amendment to address those environmental services. Now, if you look at the current 2017 document, you're going to notice that environmental cleaning is not in that document. And that's because it was inadvertently left out of the document. So here we have an amendment that's going to put that back into the document for us to have a guidance on cleaning and sterile processing. Amendment two is the amendment for inspection of insulated instruments, which I think we can all agree is important. Now, amendment three, this is an amendment is for the modification of contents uh, pertaining to the frequency of cleaning for routine care of sterilizers for sterile processing areas in healthcare facilities. And then the last amendment that you should see coming out is amendment four, amendment four content addressing the recording of BI lot numbers in sterilization records for sterile processing in the healthcare facility. Now next is uh, PB70. Uh, most of you may not be familiar with PB70, but PB70 is a liquid barrier performance and classification of protective apparel and drapes in the healthcare facility standard. Now this is the protective barrier standard or you may know it as PPE standards. So this document includes uh, definitions and specifications for new categories of gowns, uh, procedural gowns, decontamination gowns, which is we're most interested in, and also surgical gowns with extended critical zones. So there's different zones on surgical gowns that have a different criticality. So in addition to these new categories of gowns, the scope of the document was broadened to include other items intended to be worn as liquid barrier and liquid uh, born microbial barrier claims. So those included head coverings and footwear covers. So again, PPE is important to sterile processing professionals, and that's why it's important to keep in touch with these updates from this committee, especially during this pandemic. And last is the Working Group 84. Now, Working Group 84 is responsible for ST91. So the ST91 standard is the flexible and semi-rigid endoscope processing in healthcare facilities. Now this standard has been under review for quite some time and it was reopened early to keep pace with the rapidly changing concerns with endoscope processing. So compared to the 2015 version of this standard, many significant additions and modifications were made to the document. Now this is a great article. It's full of information that you need to know about the standards. So to find out what those changes are with those modifications in ST91, I recommend you pick up this edition and dive a little deeper into this article and discover some of the changes that are coming your way. Moving on, the next article we're going to talk about is titled Common Cleaning Challenges Associated with Washer Disinfectors and Loaned Instrument Sets. So the objectives are identify common washer disinfector loading errors, pinpoint some cleaning challenges of loan instrument sets, and then list some telltale signs of washer disinfector issues. So more than ever, sterile processing professionals are having to work faster, turn instruments around quicker, and complete sterilization sooner to support surgical service schedules. Instrument cleaning is at the core of this process. 
Clean devices are critical to patient safety. One dirty device can yield a catastrophic infection, cause blindness, or even lead to a patient death. It is critical that every sterile processing individual pay close attention to even the smallest detail that left undone can cause big problems. Now the article describes some common errors when loading washers, for example, overloading the washer, a term called shadowing. It talks about containers in the washer and then issues with lumen. And then further on, the article goes on to talk about and describe some other issues that are related to washers, such as scaling, discoloration, and rack cleaning issues. So good article that talks about common cleaning process failures that are associated with our washer disinfector usage and then takes proper steps uh, to reduce those issues. So check out this article for more information on the washers. And then our last article today is titled Eliminating Missing Instruments. So the objectives discuss the importance of maintaining accurate count sheets, list steps to build an effective replenishment system to replace missing and non-repairable surgical instruments, review the Six Sigma technique of the fives for instrument organization, and then last, discuss the importance of flow through sterile processing, decontamination, and assembly areas to eliminate preventable missing instruments. Now the article reads, Missing instruments are a common challenge for sterile processing departments. Now this lesson addresses the importance of minimizing the occurrence of missing instruments and developing and maintaining an organized storage and reorder system. Organizations spend hundreds of thousands of dollars annually replacing missing instruments. Now this stems from surgical procedures itself being delayed or even worse, canceled because of missing instruments that is critical to that procedure. When surgeons schedule procedures, they count on the instrument trays being complete and ready for surgery. Now, missing instruments are a problem, and sterile processing instrument specialists should strive to prevent proactively before they have a chance to impact the OR or the patient. Now, here's the subtitle, Counting on Count Sheets. An example here is, one of the root causes to missing and incorrect instruments is poor descriptions for surgical instruments on count sheets. So consider the following. Forceps or Alice clamps. The name just Alice clamp. Alice clamp medium. Alice clamp 7 inch. And then forcep Alice tissue straight 6 and a quarter. Now all of these descriptions of the Alice clamp you know, may be asked for on that count sheet. However, only the last instrument, the forcep alice tissue straight six and a quarter inch, will result in the sterile processing technician consistently putting the correct instrument in the correct tray. And then the article also reviews the Six Sigma strategies of the fives that can be applied to instrument organization. Now the fives are sort, set in order, shine, standardize, and sustain. So another good article, and I recommend that you explore what the meaning of those fives are. So those fives, the sort, set in, order, shine, standardize, and sustain. And like this article says, 
by focusing on the processes that can be controlled by the sterile processing technicians and developing an organized and well-maintained system of instrument processing and instrument replacement, many of these occurrences of missing instruments can be reduced. Again, a good article. And with that, that's going to do it for the process publication today in our segment of Mailbox Mania. Isham Nation, today our guest speaker is being leveraged by one source. OneSource is a leading healthcare management solution that enables facilities to stay in compliance 24-7 through its robust online platform, equipping the world with the most up-to-date instructions for use and preventative maintenance service manuals. Since 2009, OneSource has become a reliable source for top healthcare organizations such as the Mayo Clinic, Sutter Health, and ACA. Approved and trusted by the Joint Commission, AMI, CMS, AAA, HC, OneSource's accurate and up-to-date database for surgical and equipment, biomed, and dental specialties improve patient safety and reduce healthcare-acquired infections. For more information on OneSource, visit onesourcedocs.com. That's onesourcedocs.com. So if you haven't heard, OneSource was recently acquired by RL Dactics. Now for more information on RL Dactics and OneSource, again, go to the onesourcedocs.com. Lisa McCown, formerly Wigman, is a manager of research and development for Beyond Clean. She graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Integrative Leadership and an MBC from Anderson University. She is a doctoral student in the Richard Fairbanks School of Public Health Global Health Leadership Program from IUPUI in Indianapolis. Lisa is an industry contributor for the advancement of the sterile processing profession. Her areas of focus include research, writing, and projects that improve education and process improvement. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Many listeners may remember, and some may not because they're newer to the field, but remember a time when sterile processing professionals had to make their best guess as to how to process an instrument. Can you talk a little bit about the history of Instructions for Use, the IFUs? Sure. Well, there are many events that led to IFUs in the form we see them today. I can give you a short overview. Regulation of medical devices began really in 1938 for simple instruments. The original FDA document in 1906 did not cover medical devices. The Medical Device Amendments of 1976 expanded the regulation, which started the 510K process and established the three main classes of medical devices. Class 3 is the most highly regulated as devices that critically support or sustain life. FDA guidance was published in 1996 
entitled Labeling Reusable Medical Devices for Reprocessing in Healthcare Facilities. And that was when we started really seeing IFUs begin to circulate. Where we saw the biggest leap forward into formats as we're used to now was in a document published by the FDA in 2015 entitled Final Guidance for Industry and FDA Staff Reprocessing Medical Devices in Healthcare Settings, Validation Methods and Labeling. The FDA recognizing medical devices were evolving to be highly complex in design and were much more difficult to reprocess. If you remember just prior to this, we had major outbreaks in CRE with duodenoscopes and medical device reprocessing with under serious review. In September of 2015, FDA and CDC published an advisory entitled Immediate Need for Healthcare Facilities to review procedures for cleaning, disinfecting, and sterilizing reusable medical devices, stating a much higher emphasis on documented education and training of healthcare professionals who perform medical device reprocessing, as well as quality audits. I think that's where we started to see a lot more emphasis placed on establishing documented quality management systems as well, and outlining infection prevention protocols for policies and procedures which included language requiring following manufacturer's IFUs. IFUs seem to come in all shapes and sizes. Can you discuss why IFUs are so different from one manufacturer to another? Well, the FDA has really left it up to the manufacturer to design their IFUs, providing them with a basic framework of categories to include. That's why IFUs can be found in any format from a one-page insert with vague information to a 250-plus page manual with multiple languages. Typically, IFUs are written by engineers or technical writers who may not necessarily have experience in a healthcare setting replicating their directions. Instead, the instructions are based on the technical experience of the writer and the results from labs testing. Some manufacturers invest a lot of R&D into the development of their IFUs, However, due to the lack of standardization, the end user doesn't usually know what to expect. Users are often left to figure out how to interpret the information in an IFU. In addition to that, IFUs are updated as needed at the manufacturer's discretion. And it's difficult to know if you're reading the most current version unless you subscribe to a database that collects this information. Some industry partners have worked hard to provide informational sheets that summarize the most important takeaways in an IFU, recognizing this need of some semblance of order and standardization. So you talked about standardization of IFUs. To your knowledge, is there anything currently being done to standardize these IFUs? I think that it's been generally accepted that since medical devices are so diverse, that manufacturers' IFUs should be too. And so people really haven't questioned it because the expectations are so high. And no one wants to admit that IFUs are not consistently being followed in the current state. But efforts are being made through AMI, the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, to standardize manufacturers' IFUs. I am a primary voting member of Workgroup 12, which is Instructions for Reusable Device Reprocessing. However, the development of standards that are designed to address pain points from the user perspective is slow and underrepresented. I think that there's a lot of assumptions that manufacturers make about sterile processing. I think there's a false sense of assurance that sterile processing departments have the support and resources they need to comply with industry expectations. 
with hundreds of discussion points to review in a technical committee, it's difficult to propose many concepts that will require progressive changes to help manufacturers understand the dynamics involved from the user perspective. I think we just need more involvement from our community. The more we engage and talk about these issues, the closer we will be to collaborative solutions. Thank you again for being on those Amy committees to support our sterile processing professionals and the development of these IFUs. What are the key components found in an IFU? Not only do you want an IFU to have designated sections that follow a logical flow through the reprocessing cycle from start to finish, you also want to have specific key points in those sections that are relevant for the device. In your opinion, what makes a really good IFU? I'll start by saying that I really think that IFUs need to be significantly redesigned, streamlined, and standardized, and that the industry has a lot of work to do to solve some of the larger questions. And while we could engage in a healthy discussion about who should be part of the writing process for IFUs, I think that what's important as IFUs stand today is that they have clear language that's able to be easily understood by someone walking through the instructions and working with a device for the first time. There should be enough instructions to cover the relevant information required so that the device is safe to perform its intended use. IFUs should also have visuals that support the written instructions and demonstrate required steps. The visuals should not lead to greater confusion. Rather, they should eliminate doubt in what is expected. So the format of IFUs should be well organized and written so that the instructions are clean, concise, and clear. So no one has to guess and try to interpret what is meant or try to figure out if they've missed anything by getting lost in scrolling and keyword searching when they're trying to perform a task. Yeah, that's when we start getting in trouble and we're not doing things correctly. And ultimately, that can lead to patient harm or a patient infection. Can you discuss some of the common challenges from a user perspective in following those manufacturers' IFUs? Yes, it can be time-consuming to extract the information needed in an IFU, and that's true even if you know what you're looking for. This frustration can prevent technicians from using critical information required to follow all processes as directed, perhaps because they could not locate it, but more often because the instructions were too complicated or too vague. This is especially true if the IFU does not follow a logical flow through the processes involved in the instructions. There are many IFUs that seem to jump around going back and forth between processes, which make it confusing for technicians that follow along. There are IFUs for instrumentation out there that are really, like you said, time-consuming and, and difficult to remember all those steps involved in the processing. And I'm kind of thinking about uh, dewanoscope processing or, you know, those ro robotic arms that we process. Do you have any recommendations on how folks can best deal with these types of instruments? IFUs are not just for sterilization parameters. It's not enough for techs to know how to look up an IFU. We need to rethink what true accessibility really means. IFUs are supposed to be part of every step in the reprocessing cycle, so they really should be interfaced somehow with the technician where they're doing the work. If we rely entirely on our memory, we will miss critical steps. 
especially when we're under pressure to perform within time constraints and stressful situations when we must think and make decisions quickly, such as when we're performing a stat turnover. Lisa, you have a background in education and quality. From your experience and your perspective, what steps can sterile processing folks take to ensure that IFUs are being followed every time an instrument is processed? Well, first, we need to remember that it takes a community to keep up with IFUs. There are literally hundreds of thousands of medical devices, and it's impossible for someone to be the gatekeeper. That's why we have electronic databases to reference these documents and stay up to date on the most current IFUs. Next, it's our own personal investment in growing as a professional. We need to be intentional about familiarizing ourselves with our own inventory. We should set goals to learn new challenging devices and then share that knowledge with our peers. If we seek expert continuing education content and in-servicing from credible sources to really understand the details of device IFUs, we'll enhance our work performance. Since a standard format for the user is not yet a reality, a greater emphasis on training is required to improve compliance. Criteria for care and handling instructions can be scattered throughout a document or missing altogether. Therefore, technicians should know what questions to ask so that searching is more efficient. Earlier this year, I wrote an article entitled Reviewing Medical Device Manufacturers Instructions for Use, Key Features and Critical Thinking Questions. And I explore this topic to spark deeper questions and further the conversation. Great. Our listeners, be sure to check that out. And then the last few questions I have for you are really scenarios. So Dr. Smith for years has been asking sterile processing to sterilize fish hooks that he purchases himself and brings into the facility. Now, Dr. Smith uses these fish hooks to retract skin flaps during the procedure. I know there are a lot of facilities out there that have their version of the fish hook. Can you discuss why this is not an acceptable practice? So in old school days, we sterilized everything and never questioned it, if it would be safe. I can think of rubber bands, safety pins, household spoons, for example. We must remember that if we make a decision to justify a process without the manufacturer's written instructions to tell us what the manufacturer validated, we are in fact forcing our organization to assume all liability for that device. The protocol involved in product validation is not something that organizations usually have experience or resources to conduct. This is done by manufacturers under the approval of the FDA. If products have not been validated for specific processes and chemistries, etc., then there's no way to have disinfection or sterility assurance. And then the last question or scenario, I recently had a question about processing an instrument without the IFUs. In this case, the facility had been sterilizing an old instrument for a surgeon for several years. The instrument manufacturer went out of business several years ago, and the IFUs for the instrument can no longer be found. To date, there have been no infections linked to this procedure that this instrument was used on. How should the facility proceed in this type of scenario? Just as medicine is constantly advancing, so are the sciences of sterilization and high-level disinfection. Old practices are continuously being challenged by new insights and data discovered by research. 
We don't want to be in the business of guesswork, especially when lives are at stake. I would recommend replacing the item with something more up-to-date. This concept of a useful life is more than just about its functionality. There are also factors to consider, such as whether this device is compatible with the most current evidence-based research, and IFUs are part of the mix. Excellent. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us today and speaking with us. Thank you for taking your time uh, to be with us and share just a little bit of your knowledge as it pertains to IFU. So thank you very much, Lisa. You're welcome. Thank you, Lisa, for speaking with us today. To find out more information about Lisa, go to her LinkedIn page. There you will find more publications that she's done. Again, that's Lisa McCown, formerly Lisa Wakeman. Issue Nation, episode 24 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code ALICEClamp. Again, the code for this episode is ALICEClamp. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode is on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. And as always, stay classy, Issue Nation, and we'll see you next time.